0: Before we begin then, let us all take a moment to pay homage to he who is the undefeated one, the unpaddled one, the infinitely compassionate one, the fully awakened one, our teacher, our guide and our master. He who taught us the path to our deliverance, and as we also, as we pay reverence to the most magnificent one, let us also remind ourselves that this is a pledge that we make to ourselves, a determination, a resolve that we renew every week as we make progress on the path to our deliverance. So, bearing those thoughts in mind, let us bring our palms together. To pay homage to the Supreme Buddha.
1: namo sas Bhagavato arahato Samma Sambudhas. Namah Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambudhas. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambhuddhasse.
0: Now week by week we train ourselves on the use or the usage of this instrument, this tool if you like, that is the Dhamma. Like a good artist knows how to use his brush or his art pencil to produce a wonderful painting. One must learn how to use the Dhamma to achieve the task of freeing oneself from things that bother him. This is what we call collectively as suffering. The Dhamma is purely for that. As deep and profound as the Dhamma could be, this is a raft to cross the river of samsara. Nisaranattaya It is purely for that purpose. To cross the river. Once you have crossed the river, you don't carry it on your back because then you are burdened by the weight of the raft. The whole point is to be freed of burden. I remember from the first day I started to listen to sermons myself. I think maybe the first lesson that I learned was that. I was never one who was keen on the the stats or the facts or the ins and outs of something. I just wanted to make use of it for what it was. I always reminded myself that this is the last sermon I'm going to be able to listen to. So if that is the case, then there's no point in me memorizing it or learning it for the test that I might have tomorrow, because there is no test tomorrow. This is the last sermon. If this is the last sermon, then we only have one task to hand. If this is the last sermon, then this is the sermon in which we need to understand. You need to realize the Dhamma so that you are freed. You have achieved what you have come here for. And I think that approach is essential whenever you are in a sermon, be that here, or if you're listening to something online, elsewhere, whatever the case might be. I think if everyone approached whatever they do, as if it was the last time they're going to be able to do it, then everything would be more fruitful, everything would be more... They could do anything and everything with more diligence, they would apply themselves better. But if in the back of your mind somewhere there's this voice that says it's okay, we'll be back next week we must understand that that week might never come. But that's not to say you need to stress and worry if you struggle to understand something because that is that can happen. We are all at different levels on our path. Some have progressed further, others are catching up, and some might be just beginning, and that's all right. We're all here under one roof listening to the same sermon. What I ask of you is not to stress yourselves or worry yourselves if you don't understand something, but what I ask of you is that when we are here, when we are in the talk, when we are in the sermon, make sure that you're 100% here and nowhere else. That is why you'll hear Guru Swami say, often say, for the duration of this talk, pretend, or at least imagine, that there is nobody else here. Just you and I. Because if you're here, perhaps with your family, then you need to be concerned whether they are listening to the Dhamma as well. Whether they are paying attention. Whether they are awake, alert, paying attention. Then, now you are multitasking. And when you're multitasking, you're not doing any task properly. So, while we are here, as we make progress on this path and discuss further, it's important that we are here with that mindset, that this is the last sermon that you're going to be able to listen to. And the purpose of this, The objective here is not to learn as much dhamma as you possibly can, no. It is so that when you leave here, you are equipped with the tools necessary to free yourself from suffering. When you have a problem, you know exactly what you need to do. And it is always the right thing that you do. We are not used to this because we we are used to learning things. At school, what did we do? We learn things. In the classroom, we learn things. Out on the playground, we learn things. So we are used to learning things. And to learn is to educate ourselves. On one occasion, the Buddha said, in the future, there will be fewer monks and fewer individuals who will have realized the Dhamma because many of them will be very erudite. Many of them will have learned the Dhamma they will know a lot about the Dhamma, but very little of it will have actually transformed them. This is in the Buddha's words itself. So, if you are not mindful of that, and I think perhaps the reason I might share it with this audience is because you are not a new audience. You have been coming along for a long time. So, I feel it is prudent that I remind you from time to time that we are only here for one purpose you only go to the doctor to treat yourself to heal and once that is done you no longer need to go to the doctor so come here as you would go to the doctor this is the medicine that's going to heal us heal us all if you can become an inpatient Better, become an in-ward patient. Better still, become a member of staff. And then you'll be treated 24-7, round the clock. But, failing that, at least come as an outpatient. Take your medicine. Bring your prescription. Get your medicine. Check your pulses. And come back again next week. But that's only... That should only be the alternative choice, because the first is impossible. But that's okay, because you can get treatment both ways. Only one takes longer. Sometimes it could be much longer. But if we have the right attitude, remember in the race of the rabbit and the tortoise, who won the race? The tortoise did not the rabbit. So, having potential is not in itself a test of achievement. Having potential itself is not. That's why I always say, knowledge is not power. Knowledge applied is power. So, let's use the Dhamma. Let's make sure we know how to apply the Dhamma to solve the day-to-day problems that you would come across. I thought it would be good for me to share with you a karmasthana. And what is a karmasthana? A karmasthana is a piece of the doctrine which you reflect. Why reflect? Because that's what you always do. You always reflect. What is Nichya anatta? It is also a karmastana, but the wrong one. So dukkha anatta is also a Karma sthana, it's just the right one. <coughs> How do you know once the wrong one and now what's the right one? You look at the results. So there's this, in fact I don't think you could call it a Karma if you were talking about Nichya anatta. I don't know what the word is for that. It's not a karmastana, but it's a reflection. You can reflect on nikcha, sukha and atta. And if you keep on contemplating on that, that this world is pleasurable, is joyful and it's essenceful, that what you sense as a self is in fact you, self, me, I, and all everyone around me is my family. Every time you reflect on that, this is what we call as Ayoniso Manasikad. Every time that reflection happens, every time you contemplate on that, it is a step away from Nibbana, unfortunately. I mean, you know, something so 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 harmless, like looking at things around you, looking at your family, being with your family, and perceiving them as members of your family, can itself be another nail in that coffin, that is Sansara. So this is why, this is why I think Guru Swami always talks about try and deploy yourself on this path to deliverance by coming into the Sasana or bringing yourself here I mean, just think about it, you know, when you come in, come here on a, on a weekday or a weekend, you know, once a week, you get noble association, right? So the monks, the Anagarikas, Anagarikas and others, those among you, you talk about things that are conducive to your practice. Yes, we treat everyone with respect, dignity, and we provide hospitality, but... All that is a means to an end. I mean, what is dignity after all? It's a big fat lie, isn't it? Dignity. Treat others with dignity. But that is no excuse to not do so. We must treat others with dignity. We must treat others with respect. But it is shameful that one desires respect. If one is offended because they are not treated with respect, That is shameful, meaning their happiness is dependent on someone treating them with respect, by speaking to them politely, saying, sir, or standing up when they walk into the room, saluting them. If one expects that for their happiness, then it is not a salute that they deserve, I'm afraid, because that is a weak mind. A feeble mind. It's like a creeper that's always looking for a tree to climb up so it can stand up straight. Without a tree, without a trunk, at least so much so as a twig, a creeper can not rise up. So in the same way, a mind which is dependent, which is reliant on someone, something being there, for it to stand upright, He's a very weak mind. It's a very heavy mind. It's a very burdened mind. Heavy with what? Defilements. Burdened with defilements. In last Sunday sermon last week, I invited and encouraged parents to teach their children the value of worshiping them. And but I was soon enough, I soon enough reminded them the point of worshiping is not that you can be happy as a parent that my children worship me. That would be pitiful if at the age of 45, 50, 55, you still need your children to worship you to be happy. How sad would that be? That's like saying, unless you say, sorry, I'm angry. Unless you say, thank you, I'm not happy about what I've given you. It's the same, right? So... I I don't expect any parent here to be of that mindset. You need to be independent, regardless of whether your children regard you highly, whether they treat you well or not at all. But we still encourage our children. You must teach them to respect their elders, their parents and so on. But that is so that they can benefit, not you as parents, can feel good about yourselves. That is not the purpose. Is it not virtuous? Is it not a good thing to worship the Mahasanga and pay respects? Yes. Why? So that the monk feels good about himself? Now, wouldn't that be very sad? If the monk feels good when you come and worship? That is not a monk at all. Because his happiness is now dependent and reliant on a worship, on a mere worship. I mean, what is a worship? It's when he feels that you're worshipping him. Couldn't you get on your knees, bring your palms together, and in your mind think, to hell with you? Hmm? Go to hell? (laughs) You could. But, after all, it's just how you perceive it. You know, it is a mark of respect. But that mark of respect should not be something that is expected. Remember, the sasana, we don't we don't take things. We talked about this last week. The sasana is not where you come and give things. The sasana is where you give up things. Sasana is the giving up. The giving up of the sense of ownership. We talked about this last week. It is not giving up anything. It's giving up the sense of ownership. When you give up the sense of ownership, you realize Nothing was yours to give up in the first place. That is the sense of ownership that we strive to give up. The very reason that things bother us, we, are, we get hurt, hmm? if you experience that, if you have experienced that in the past, the reason would have always been because you had a sense of ownership. You thought that the people or the things that departed were things, they were entities. And when you perceive them as entities, now you have separated them from everything else and then from that point forward, you have two ways you can deal with them. either you can love them or you can hate them or at least like them or dislike them. And when you like something and they are in your presence, you feel good, you feel happy, joyful and when you dislike something and you and they come to you now you feel unhappy, rejected, disappointed, frustrated, This is how people live and people think this is fine. We need to get into the behaviour of owning nothing, but being able to use everything. Use whatever you need, but own nothing. Because ownership is only a sentiment that you have, it is not real. It's only only a perception. Ownership is only a perception. That is why two people can fight over something. One says, no, this is mine. The other says, no, it's mine. And if you actually, if you could read their minds, they genuinely mean it when they say it. It's mine. They genuinely mean it. Haven't you seen two children fight over whose mother it is? Hmm? She's my mother. No, she's my mother. I had her first. I'm Lokuman. I'm Loku I had her first. Yes, but she's my mother. No, she's my mother. Whose mother is it? (laughs) That's the thing. So, you know, we are here to find solutions to real problems. To free our minds. Aren't we? That's what we're here for. It's just free ourselves. We don't need to suffer. Suffering is entirely optional. When you say that to people, if they don't understand what you mean, they say, Yes, Swami suffering is entirely optional. If we just had everything we needed, we wouldn't have to suffer. You're right. People say that. You're right, Swami said, that's why I want to become rich. Because suffering is optional. If you work hard, if you earn enough, enough money, if you had the means to get whatever you want, if you had those contacts in your list, then you don't have to suffer. So they try to solve the problem at hand, not the problem in mind. So the same thing can be either interpreted one way or can be interpreted another way. But we are now attempt him to look at the problem from an entirely different angle, aren't we? We are looking at this problem from a very different angle because now we, are, we have become disciples of the Lord Buddha. He has taught us what Buddha is. He has taught us that there's a, there's a better way to solve problems. A once and for all way to solve problems. Not plastering over problems, but actually solving them. Take a moment to think about this karma I'm going to put on the board for you. I'll write it in Roman letters. This is a wonderful Karmastana. It can even ward off demons. It's a spell. So learn it by heart and chant it. Every time you see the demon. So, when you stood in front of the mirror, just kidding, when you see the demon, hmm? chant this. But chanting, it is only going to bring you results if you chant it with meaning. You need to know what it means. Otherwise, it's just a spell. But, if you don't know the meaning behind it, it's not going to bring you results. You could think that the Buddha was an exorcist. So, you know, he's a nice Kartariya to have on your list. The best Kartariya. He gave us the spell. To ward off evil spirits. Do you know an evil spirit? Hmm? An evil spirit? I live with one? No, I'm not talking about your other half. I'm talking about the one who's always with you. Who's that evil spirit? Yes, of course, yourself that spirit so this is a very powerful karmastana i'm telling you it's a very powerful karmastana there's a bit after this as well but first of all let's make sure that we get this into our into our heads and let's let's make sure that we know how this can help us solve problems that come into our lives, because this is medicine. This is a spell. Can you all read it from where you are? It's not difficult to remember, is it? Very easy to remember. So memorize it like a spell, like you would a spell. A very powerful spell. Very powerful. Yadani chantandukkan yandukkan tadanatta. So how do you use this spell? First of all, let's understand what is this spell. Let's understand the meaning behind this. I think you could maybe join these two words together because so you'll go to read them together. Yadanicham. Yadanicham. Now, you may have heard this spell or come across it before and there may be various interpretations of this. What I want to do do is to share with you how I reflect on this and see whether that might work for you. And then we will apply it into a few problems that people have in their lives, the 11 great fires, and see how this spell can free you from those problems when you start to feel when you start to feel them when you start to begin when you begin to suffer as those problems come into your lives. Anicca. When you hear the word anicca, what comes into your mind? Take a moment to think about this. When you hear the word anicca. Now, when you first started listening to these talks, you might have thought, or you might have initially understood, that all things are anicca. Yeah? Everything is anicca. So that may be how you first understood anicca. Everything is anicca. It may be that you understood anicca as being something that is not to your liking, and they're all fine; nothing wrong with them. It's like is, uh, you know, when you as you make progress on this path, with every step you take, your understanding becomes more and more profound. So, it would be wrong to say that what you understood initially at the basic level the elementary level, is wrong because it is on that foundation we have built our understanding. Of course, it is only from the roof that you can see the mountains afar. But you can't say, well, then the ground floor is useless. How do you get to the roof? Yeah, you've got to take the stairs. For that, you have to first walk into the ground floor, and then you get get yourself to the first floor, then the second floor, then the third floor, and finally you get to the rooftop. And now you can see the mountains. And you can see the beautiful sunset. But if you said, well, what's the point of the other three flows then? Useless. Let's let's just get rid of all of them. What sunfl- sunset would you be seeing now? None at all. So it's a bit like that. So when you first began to understand this word Anicca, you may have interpreted it, understood it as a characteristic of things, a characteristic of entities. Yeah. So you would have said probably this is a beetle leaf, and this leaf has a characteristic of anicca. Such as you could say this leaf is a physical object, so it has a weight. Hmm? It's got a weight. You could say it's got a color. Yeah. In the same way you would have said another characteristic we have just discovered and that is this leaf is anecture like it's got weight it's got color it's got a taste a distinctive taste it's got then it's got the characteristic of anecture what i'm trying to share with you now is what we are trying to now begin what we are beginning to understand and unfold is that we need to step we need to make a step further from that point of view, and to begin to see Anicca in itself, where you are not saying anymore that the leaf is Anicca, but what you see is Anicca. This is only an example, this is a manifestation of Anicca. This is an instance of Anicca. The concept is not that the leaf is Anicca, it's just Anicca. Because Anicca is all there is. Anicca is all there is. You see a leaf thanks to Anicca. You see a leaf thanks to Anicca. So, it's not like the leaf came first and Anicca came next. Anicca is all there is, Anicca is all there was and Anicca is all there will be. The leaf is an incarnation of Anicca. It's an instance of Anicca. It's a representation of Anicca. It's a demonstration of Anicca. That is what the leaf is. Thanks to Anicca, you can call this a leaf. Yadhanicca. If Anicca is all there is, if Anicca is all there is, you can't call this a leaf. In other words, You can't think of this or perceive this as an entity. This is not a leaf in itself, this is not a... a self-sustaining, a self-containing leaf. Anicca is what presents this to you. So, Anicca is the actor. This is just the play. Because anicca is all that exists, we see things around us. Thanks to anicca. So, yad aniccham If anicca is all there is, when you come and ask, Swaminovansa, I have a problem. Let's take a problem. Let's say This is your, this is your favorite, this is your favorite leaf. You have a favorite leaf. Okay. This is your favorite leaf. Now you don't like to part from this because it's your favorite leaf. So you have a problem now because shortly this is going to wither, right? It's going to, it's going to, it's going to fall apart. Maybe you might lose it. Someone might take it, take it away from you, right? bad, terrible things can happen. And if those things happen, then you begin to suffer. Or at least you think. You think that's when suffering is going to happen to you. So now, you put every ounce of energy you've got within you to keep this safe, to protect this, to look after this. So you might take this with you and put it into a, in a safe where you keep all your precious things. Say, in the safe, yes. So if this is precious to you, then you would put this in the safe. It's fine, it's fine. I also had a safe in my lay life. It's fine. I sold it. Okay? I sold it. So if this is precious to you, then this has to go in a safe. Because your happiness is dependent on this, isn't it? If something were to happen to this, something would happen to what? Your happiness. Yeah? So, now you have a problem. Let's just say, one fine day, something actually did happen to it. Yes. Heartbreaking moment. When this happens, now you're shattered. You feel what has happened to the leaf has happened to you. You feel broken. You feel in tatters. You feel shattered. Hmm? In despair. Remember when you used to chant the Maitri? May I and all beings in all worlds be freed from... Remember all the things you used to say? From fear, from grief, from despair, from discontentment. Yeah? from frustrations and all sorts of things. See, if this is what your happiness is dependent on, or the leaf is what your happiness is dependent on, when this happens to the leaf, then you become a victim. You have victimized yourself. You have victimized yourself. So now you have a problem. So with this problem, you come to me. Okay? You go to the doctor. You come to me with this problem. You say, Swami answer. see what's happened to me. I, before I was just fine, I was happy, I was living a merry life. Hmm? But look what happened to me. Hmm? I broke. And now I'm broken. I'm broken now. I need your help to help me recover. Then I have a spell. Yadanichang tandukkang yandukkang tadananta. All the while, I'm not talking about the beetle leaf. I'm talking about you. You bring me the leaf. Hmm? So you see, like when your kid's unwell, you take your kid to the doctor, right? You ask the doctor, doctor, please help me. How can I help you? The doctor asks, fix my kid and I'll be fine. You say that to the doctor, right? So in the same way, you come to this doctor, And you say, Doctor, I'm not feeling too well. What's wrong with you? My beetle leaf tore. So what can I do for you? Can you fix it, please? And then I'll be fine. So you bring me these two pieces, expecting me to do what? Somehow work my magic and put them back together again, like Humpty Dumpty. Yeah? Do some magic and... Ta-da! What did you expect? (laughs) You're expecting me to do the impossible. Just imagine if someone actually could do that. Don't they become your best friend? If someone could actually do that. But you you expect me to fix what is broken. But remember, once it's broken, it can never be put together again can never be put back together again. Because that is not where the problem is. So, you, it's pointless you bringing me this, to be fair. Because if you came in here with these two pieces, I would say, leave them outside. You come in, madam. Take a seat. But you'll say, but my problem is outside. Yes, it's fine. You come. We'll talk about that later. Because this is the spell that I have to chant. I have to teach you. Then once I chant this spell, and once you learn it, and once you begin to chant it, your problems will go away. But the broken thing, the torn leaf, will be the same. But typically what do people do? They take the broken thing, they take the, 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 the torn leaf, and they go around looking like Patachara used to remember? What did Patachara do? She took her dead child from house to house. Was it not? Kisagodani, thank you. Kisargotani who took her dead child from house to house, expecting someone to say that the child was not dead. Right? And expecting someone to, ultimately when she realized that, she was, that the child was irre, 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 irrecoverable, Can you do some magic, at least, and bring me, bring back my child to life? So she carried what she thought was the problem in her hands. And looking at it, she was hoping that it would come back to life so that she would feel better again. What had happened to the child was beginning to happen to her, wasn't it? This is why she carried her child from house to house, from door to door, village to village, running around, looking for someone to give an answer to her problem. Do you do the same? When a problem happens to you, do you take the problem to someone and say, please fix that and I will be fine? Do you do the same thing when you have a problem? If you did it, just so just because the leaf had to be one, you know, for the for the benefit of the leaf, then it's fine. You know, if Kesagothami could give life back to the child, then it would be would have been better for the child because now the child has his life back and he can do something with his life. But she was a mother, hmm? and as a mother, she has to feel emotional, doesn't she, about her child? Do you feel the same way, mothers? Do you have to, as a, as a good mother, should you be emotional about your children? What do you think? Here you say no, Swami. <laughs> but wait until something happens. <laughs> huh? Even if a bee would come and sting your child, yeah, and you know it gets a bump on a, somewhere, see what happens in that moment. Your motherly instincts kick in, fatherly instincts kick in. It's virtually impossible. To try and break 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 out of that. Because it is part of your very soul, you know, you you feel this child came out of me, this is part of me. How can you how can you expect me not to have these feelings, these emotions? Those who have not been mothers and fathers, they won't be able to relate to this. But as we study the mind, we can understand how a mother must feel when something happens, something unexpected, something terrible, bad, happens to the child. If you got news that your child's got an incurable disease, hmm, in that moment, you know, a mother can go into complete shock. That's a mother instinct. They will do anything. They'll go to the moon and back for their children. Because they become emotional. They become emotional because the child has become part of their existence. In fact, they define their existence by that child. I am a mother. Why am I, am I a mother? Because that's my child. The child is what has made me a mother. See? Your very identity is defined by someone else. So if something happens to them, what happens to you? You're no longer that, that identity. See, now if you start, when you start to look at it analytically, you begin to understand that there are some selfish strands running around this. Hmm? In this. In this nicely, purely woven fabric of motherhood, there are a few selfish strands, if I may say so myself. This is because your identity as a mother, your motherhood, your dignity, your the honour that comes with being a mother, it is all dependent on there being a child. So the child has to be in one piece for the mother to be in one piece. This is what happened with Kisagotami. She was she doted on her children, and when what when things started to happen with her children, you know, she began to lose her sanity just before she was saved by the great doctor. So here's what the doctor said to Kisagotomi. Remember, she took the dead child. she took the dead child to the doctor, expecting the doctor to fix the child back again. So she wanted to, the doctor to put Hamti together again so that she could feel better. But the doctor said, "No, leave Hamti to side." Ya Chan tandukha. Let's try and understand what he meant with that. Yadani chantan dukkha. If anicca is all there is, okay? If anicca is all there is, my dear, what you are feeling right now is dukkha. You are not a mother. You are not a mother. Because it's not yadani chantan amma. Yadani chantan dukkha. Because if all there is, is anicca In a world where everything is cause and effect driven, in a world where everything is a manifestation, what you're experiencing right now also has to be a manifestation. If that is a manifestation, then what you're experiencing right now cannot be a self. Because a self is not a manifestation. For something to be a manifestation, there has to be causes. What are the causes for a self? Anyone? There are no causes for a self. A self is not the product of cause and effect, it is not a manifestation. So if you are the nature, if all there is is anicca, if all there is is the nature of anicca, then there is no way. That a self can be there. In other words, there is no way that you can call yourself a mother. That is not a mother that you are experiencing right now. That is dukkha. See, now he's trying to answer this problem. But he is seeing the bigger problem, the real problem. He's seeing the noble truth of suffering. Not the suffering that Kisa Gotami thinks there is, because that is not a noble truth. That's just a conventional suffering. She comes and says, my my loved one has departed. I need my child back. That's what she's saying. That is not a noble suffering. In fact, what I mean by that is, it is not a suffering that requires nobleness to perceive. Nobleness is required to see a suffering that an ignoble mind doesn't see, doesn't perceive. So what is the Buddha saying? Kisa, Gautami, you are not a mother. Why do you think you are a mother? How can you be a mother? Of course, you know, this is after all the mustard seed story and all that, right? Now she, she begins to understand that, you see now, when she went looking for those mustard seeds, she hadn't listened to the Dhamma. What the Buddha did was just a workaround, you know, just a temporary way of giving her some relief. Because she was in, she had gone into shock and almost on the edge of insanity, right? So that's like, you know, there's a hungry person. Before you give him the dhamma, you got to feed the guy, so that he can focus on what's going to happen next. So if the Buddha had started to preach to Kisagotmi at that point, she wouldn't have been able to focus on the truth. She wouldn't have been able to focus on the the noble truth because there was something else that was burdening. That was that was burdening and something else that was, you know, really bearing on her mind. So what the Buddha helped her, helped her do was come to her senses that it is not a problem that just happens to her. Now, I want you to think about why the Buddha did that. A problem shared is a problem halved. You know these things called boot songs, right? Boot songs? No, not. <laughs> Not boot songs. What's a boot song? Hmm? When you get the boot? When someone gives you the boot? When someone breaks up with you? Right? So, heartbroken. When someone's heartbroken, what do young people these days typically do? They go online. Why do they go online? Because they want to share their problem with someone. And it would be far too embarrassing to share it with your parents, because they've said, you're not supposed to be doing that, you're supposed to be doing your homework. Okay? So, you can't go and confess that immediately. Or, parents are just not at home. They're busy. Busy, busy, busy. And you can't share this with your friends because your friends won't take something like that seriously enough. Right? So you have to now go and cry alone. But crying alone is not fun. You have to cry with someone who understands exactly what you mean. Because your friends are not going to understand it exactly because they haven't they haven't gone through it yet. Maybe they're already in a relationship. Say you you've just broken up with your loved one. Right? Your best friend. Your best friend is in a relationship. So it's just going fine for them. You going and sharing your story with them is going to be of no use. Because they're going to be so upbeat about it. You know, they're going to say, ah, it's okay, don't worry. You know, there's more than one fish in the sea. Right? Just give it some time. Things will be fine. Don't worry about it. Right? Let's just go for a drink. Say, no, no, it's not a drink I want. I want someone to share my 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 sorrow with. Hmm? Give me a partner to, to share my sorrow with, so the best place to go to is online. Because online, you go online and you type in, on YouTube, what do you type in? Boot songs. No, the Buddha did exactly the same thing. That's what the Buddha did. That's what people do today online <laughs> on YouTube. So you go and listen to a boot song. In that song, what what do people? What are the lyrics? What is the what is the essence of the song? Someone crying about what happened to them, right? I loved you so much. I loved you dearly. Right? I, I I sacrificed my whole life for you. But then you went away. If I had another chance, right, we would start all over you. I would do things differently, right? So. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass you right, by reminding you. <laughs> hmm? Can I say that by reminding you about your previous uh, donkey's years? So you see, why why is that so cathartic? Hmm? Why is why is that so? Why is that such a such a such a good feeling? It's such a good feeling because someone can share with you those emotions. Someone knows exactly how you feel, or at least you think. They don't need to. You just need to think that way. You just need to realize, you just need to feel, really. You just need to feel that someone understands where you're coming from. You just need something to bounce your ideas off. You know, someone to, someone to share your, your grief with. That's why listening to those songs are so, so therapeutic. It's It's therapy doesn't solve the problem doesn't solve the real problem but in that moment you feel that someone can understand so therefore you know some people they put on their headsets and you know they cry listening to those songs because because you know those those songs they've been uh, they've been composed and the lyrics of those songs are you know they're spot on sometimes you know sometimes when you when you have these these heavy emotions in your mind You struggle to come up with the words to express that, right? You know, emotions are very hard to to describe. Whether it's love, whether it's a heartbreak, whether it's the loss of a loved one. It's it's very difficult to express those emotions. So when you find it difficult to express those emotions, you want someone to express them on your behalf. That is what a, a nice boot song can do for you. Because they are artists. That is what they do for a living. They'll express those Emotions that are in the deep down corners of your heart in ways that you can never imagine and the rhythms and the tunes that, that you know almost lull you. <laughs> they're, they're very therapeutic. So you feel that at least there's someone in this world who understands me. I'm not alone. That is that feeling that you're looking for in those moments. Take, take, take a jog down memory lane and see if this is not what you went through. This is why people do that. That's why people do that. Let's understand why people do that and then decide whether we want to do it or not. But that's, But it's better to understand. You know, Do something with an understanding of it. Now the Buddha did the same thing. See, what did the Buddha do? He sent Kisargottami from house to house asking for mustards from a house where nobody had died. And what did everyone say? No, no, I lost my grandmother just two weeks ago. I lost my father two months ago. Oh, today we are having the anniversary, almsgiving for my daughter, who I lost only a year ago. So I'm sorry I can't give you those mustard seeds that you asked for. I have mustard seeds, but I can't give you, I can't, you know, this is not the kind of mustard seed you want because there's someone in the family who's who's died. So what Buddha did was, he sent Kisa me round on a tour listening to boot songs of the day. Those were the the boot songs of the day. So then she realized, it's not just I who's going through this. So a problem halved, a problem shared was a problem halved. So that burden that she was feeling, she felt it started to appease her mind. She was assuaged as she went from door to door. She didn't feel so so, so heavy-minded at the end of that. She still had the problem, but she realized everybody has this problem. It's not just me. You know how therapeutic that is? It's selfish. It's selfish. Remember we talked about the two daughters last week when the mother decided she was going to split her property up? Hmm? It's okay for me to get a small part if my... Elder sister is also going to get a small part. But if I have to get a small part, and she's going to get a big part, then I'm not happy about that. It's not very nice. But at least it helps to you know, lighten that load a little bit. Of course, the Buddha knew all this. I don't need to say that, do I? <laughs> the Buddha knew all this. So, this is exactly what the Buddha did. So, ultimately, Kisargautami comes back to the Buddha and says, Sir, I think I understand what's going on. Hmm? My child has died, but now I feel better. See what she said. I'm not sure whether this is in the texts. This is what she said. Now I feel better because it's not just my child who died. Other mothers also lost their children. (laughs) what do you think about that very honorable mothers it's not very honorable is it i'm okay that it happened to me because it's also happened to somebody else how does that make your problem any less huh? i'm hung i'm fine being hungry if you're also not eating <laughs> It's okay for me to get wet if you also don't take your umbrellas with you. Well, if you have an umbrella and I don't, now we have a problem. Because I'm always comparing. I have to be better than others. You know, if misfortune comes, who should it come last to? Me. If good fortune comes, who should it come first to? Me. Now, the Buddha, in all his wisdom and you know, such intelligence and all that, you know, he realized this is what I had to do with Kisa Gautami before I can preach to her the Dhamma. So that's what Kisa Gautami said. You know, she's still not worthy of worship at this point because she still hasn't listened to the spell yet. So we don't call her Kisa Gautami the great Arahant still because what right now what she's saying is, ah, it's okay because it's happened to everybody. It's fine then. That's not very nice, is it? But the reason the Buddha did that was so that she could now you know, come to terms with this bereavement, this, this grief that has stricken her. And now she's prepared to listen to what the Buddha had to say. So she was on the verge of infan- insanity earlier. Now she's alright. So one of the best ways then, we can take a lesson from this, this this is why people say you know whenever someone comes to you and says oh i have a problem then they you know this is this is given as good advice tell them you've also been through that how dirty <laughs> that it works it's okay i know the feeling i've also been through that you know why they feel good about it now because it's not happened just to them. It's happened to others as well. So that's fine then. How does that make it any better? I mean, you know, this is this is an ignorant mind. We sympathize. We should sympathize. We've all been there. You know, if you get really bad grades, bad uh, test results, and you go to your, you know, a friend who has gotten good, re- good results, what they'll normally say is, it's fine, you know, happens to everybody. Happens to the best of us. Don't worry about it. And next time we'll work harder. It's happened to me so many times. Ah, Then it's okay. Because if it's only happened to me, then I feel like I'm the bad guy. It was my weakness. But the self doesn't like to, like to identify something as their weakness because then the self feels weak. The self always wants to feel that I'm the strong one. I'm above the rest. I'm the good one. I'm the great one. That's how the self always wants to feel. This is ego. So the Buddha, in that in that moment, was playing Kisa Gautami's ego on her. That's what he was doing. He was using the Mara against the Mara. That's what he was doing. Very clever. So now the now Kisa Gautami is prepared to listen to what the Buddha has to say. She still has the grief of her child passing away, but at least now she's willing to listen. So now the Buddha says. Kisagotami yadani chantandukha. What he's saying is, Gotami, you are not a mother. Now why is she in front of the Buddha? Her child has just died. The Buddha says, Kisagotami, you are not a mother. You are not a mother. Now she needs convincing of this. Why, sir, do you say that I am not a mother? No. All there exists is nature. All there exists is cause and effect. And with cause and effect, all there can be is a manifestation. What you perceive right now, Kisargavotami, is that you, by identity, you are by self a mother. You believe that your identity is that of a mother. You believe that you are a self. You believe that you are an individual, you believe that you are a mother. How, Kisargottami, can you be a mother when you are just a thought? Which part of you is a mother? See mothers, fathers in the house. You know, you are biological parents, yes, but why do you think you are psychological parents? You know, there are three kinds of parents, really. There are adopted parents, Biological parents, and then the third type, the psychological parents. In other words, you believe that you are the parent, you perceive yourself as a parent. That is the part that brings the pain, not the adoption, not the biology. Biology never brings you pain. That doesn't bring you pain. Biology can bring you physical pain. As you go into labor, you get you get you get you experience that pain, but not the psychological pain. The biological pain is only very temporary. After a few months, after delivery, that's gone. That's it. Done. But what about the psychological pain? Hmm? Well, you say till death. Well, you think it's after that, it's it. That's it. Is death an answer to that problem? No. That's why you need a good (laughs) kattaria. Because even upon death, that doesn't go away. The psychological pain that psychological pain comes from the fact that from from you thinking or perceiving that you are a mother when you believe you are a mother now see what happens when you believe you are a mother you scan the entire world looking for your child because what is a mother after all how do you define a mother What is the definition of a mother? A mother is a mother to a child, right? So only when the child exists can the mother exist. So now if I am the mother, where's my child? I'm I'm trying to get across to you a very subtle point. Why as a mother you see your child as a very special thing? It is the foundation on which your motherhood stands. When you need to identify yourself as a mother, you have to scan the whole world. You scan the entire universe, looking for your child. The moment you see your child, ah yes, that's my child, so therefore I'm the mother. You need that verification all the time. Because where's the mother? There is no mother. There is no mother. All there is, is a chitta. When sight comes into contact with the eye, what happens? Mother happens? What happens? Chakuvinyana happens. That's a chitta. It's just a consciousness, a a moment of consciousness. So how does Chakuvinyana evolve into mother? For that, you have to separate the sight. You have to separate the site that you've just seen from every other site in this world and give it the label, my child. Mothers, you will, I'm sure you'll remember this, right? When you, when you give birth, either natural or cesarean or whatever, the first thing you wanted to see while you were there in the ward, right, on the bed, what was the first thing you wanted to set your eyes on as you regained your consciousness? Your child, right? So you would have asked the doctor. Actually, there's nothing to ask because the doctor knows what you want to see. It's no surprise, right? So the doctor comes and presents the the child to the mother. Here's the child. See, in that moment, if you remember, in that moment, There was no sight that was more delightful than that. Even if your child had a crooked nose, it mattered not. Even if your child had three eyes, mattered not. Because in that moment, that sight is the most wonderful sight in the whole world. In that moment. Because in that moment, that sight of the child is what you're looking for. You want to find that site that, se- that is separate from every other site in this world. In fact, you know, if someone showed you a, somebody else's child, you'd still have accepted that. See, the, the mother doesn't need her child. The mother needs a child. The mother needs a child so that she can be, she can confirm her identity as a mother. That helps her to confirm her identity as a mother. You need to see the child. So, in that moment, it could be any child. But the better the resemblance, you know, the better for you. So, you look at, oh yeah, she's got my eyes, yes, yeah. But she's got her father's lips, see. <laughs> Have, aren't you all guilty of this? I mean, even as, either as parents or friends of parents, right? when you go to see, like what do you call them, baby showers, right? When you, when you go to see the child for the first time, right, the moment you see a child with the mother and the father, what is the thing that you are supposed to do? You got to look at the child and go, oh, just like the mother. (laughs) Look at the feet, just like the father. Look at the nose, just like the mother. Look at the eyes, if the grandmother is also there, just like the grandmother. You have to make them all happy because they are waiting for your, for your judgment. It's like judgment day. <laughs> You're waiting for your judgment. They're, they're waiting for it. And you know, whoever's there in the family, even if the dog is there, you still have to say something. <laughs> Otherwise, they feel offended. Because you know, they they understand why that is so, ladies and gentlemen. They're all looking for confirmation that they exist. They're all looking for confirmation. The father is looking for confirmation that I am now a father. That is myself. That is my identity. So if I am the father, then this has to be my child. So give me evidence that this is my child. <laughs> the more evidence I can get from this thing, the better I feel. So you know, one of the best ways you can you can be in the good books you can get on the Christmas list of of a, of, a, of a new, you know. A, newly uh, new mother father is go to go to their uh, you know show the child for the first time and tell them how the child looks like the mother this part looks like the father that part looks like the uncle this part looks like the like the cousin and so on you know you say that now they're on you know you're on their Christmas list because they're all looking for affirmation they're looking for attestation they're looking for verification they're looking for confirmation that you that you know, confirmation of their identity. They're looking for confirmation of their identity because their identity is dependent on this being, their child. Sometimes you even, you know, actually there's no resemblance at all. Sometimes there's no resemblance. But you still say it, you know, just because it's the nice thing to say. Just to make them feel better. You know, these, these are the displays that we put up, put on show. You know, these are the, the dramas that we play in society. You know this, we've all been there, we've done this. It's fine, you know, in society you have to be, you have to. it's like a theatre, right? When you're out in society, be an actor, do the drama. Hmm. Tell them, yes, this is like Mother, this is like, but then they'll say, no, no, I think her uh, eyes are just like mine. Then you say, oh yeah, actually, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Just, just like yours. Because the mother was offended that you said the eyes are like the father. She always thought until that moment that the eyes were hers. Oh, you know, it looked like hers. Then now she's offended. So then you have to say quickly, you've you got to change the story. Actually, thinking about it, yeah, you're right. You know, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I couldn't see it properly. Now I see it. You've got to do the drama. That's why right. in conventional life, you got to live by convention. But when you walk out of that conventional existence, you know, I comes into contact with sight. All you have is consciousness. So what did you see there? When the baby was presented, that was just an object. It's a sight hmm, that comes into contact with the eye, And all there is, is consciousness. A chitta. Chitta is born. But what happens is, the mind doesn't understand this, it doesn't understand that, understand the principle of yadani rūpam bhikkave anicca, this is how the Buddha says, this is the part before this, rūpam bhikkave anicca, monks, the rūpa, right, as in the rūpa vedana sanya sankar that rūpa I am talking about, this is the receiving, rupam bikkhaya anicca yadanicchan tan dukkha tadanatta netangma neto hamasmi nameso attati eva me tang yata bhutang sammapannaya it's a wonderful karmastha the the entirety of what we are talking about is contained within those few words See, Roopam Bikkwe Anicca, like take that, take that in instance. Hmm? A problem has happened in your life. The problem that you come and complain about is the leaf having been torn. Yeah? You experience this problem when you see this. Because, you know, that's why, that's why people go and watch a movie when they have a problem. Because why do they do that? Then they can just forget about this problem. A different sight, a different world. Like, or they comfort eat when they have a problem right what is the, what's the principle behind comfort eating now you indulge the other senses right and they take you into a into a karma this is essential this is sensuality you go into the sensual world and you try and forget it's like it's almost like sleeping I mean no better than that well the uh, in fact it's worse comfort eating is worse because it does harm to your body right what do you eat at that time broccoli When you comfort it, no, you eat all junk food, right? Sweets and salty foods and fatty foods and things like that. That is what you do for comfort eating. Sleeping is better, far better, because it does no harm to the body. In fact, it rests the body. So, but why do people comfort it? Because when they do that, they they can dive into and submerge themselves in a sensual world where they can forget their problems for a for a brief moment because they are not seeing the sight that brings them the pain. Why do they not like to see the sight? It's because they don't understand that this is anicca. They don't understand rupam bhikkhu anicca. They think rupam bhikkhu nicca. Sorry, not rupam bhikkhu nicca, Bhikkhu is monks. <laughs> they think rupa nicca, rupa is nicca. In other words, they believe that a rupa, that in fact, a leaf exists. They take this whole thing as one entity. They take the whole thing as one entity. So when this is one entity, look at what has happened. If this is an, enti- this, this is an entity, now it is torn. So what is torn now? The leaf is torn. So you call these two halves of? A leaf you see you call this two halves of one leaf so even when they are torn you still see this as two parts of one leaf you don't say that about this though you'll say this is a whole leaf and this is two parts of one leaf see you have in your mind that this is two parts of one leaf that one feeling you know, that, that feeling that you can't you, you can't help yourself but think that these two belong to the same leaf, can you? Can you can you like stop thinking like that for a second? Do me a favor. Now, on the count of three, okay? Can you stop thinking and perceiving that this is these two belong to the same leaf? It's impossible. That is evidence that right now in the mind, Ionso Manasikara is happening. Because you see these two things as part of the whole. The sum of the parts are greater than the whole. Oh, beg your pardon. Sorry. The great, the, the, what is it? The what is? Ah, yes. Thank you. Thank you. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? Thank you. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So you don't see these two as just the sum of parts, when, the, when these two things, you know, despite how close or how far they are, even if I held this this far, you still feel that these are part of the same leaf. You, can you still not see the leaf? You can see the leaf, right? You, you see these dotted lines? Those virtual dotted lines? Can't you see them? Yeah. Now, if I turn this round like this, Don't you know exactly what needs to happen for this leaf to come back together again? Now these are two parts of the one leaf. That one leaf is what I am talking about here. Because you don't see Rupa as something, Rupa as being Anicca. This Rupa, this is Rupa, this is Rupa, okay? Because you don't see this as a manifestation, because you don't see this as a manifestation, you believe that this is part of this. This cannot be a manifestation on its own, this cannot be a manifestation on its own, this has to be together, because you see this as a manifestation. This whole thing is one unit. You you, you see that this whole thing is an entity. And when that entity you perceive as one, one unit, one thing, now when things happen you feel that it is that entity this the integrity of this unit is what has been affected that is why in the example of Kisagotami, right when that child died there was nothing of that sort had happened the child didn't die all that happened was chitta stopped arising associating that body that's all that happened So all there is, is a Chitta and the four Bhuta Rupa, or the pure octet, right? But they are together, just almost by coincidence. It's not coincidence, there is cause and effect, but it's almost like, almost almost out of coincidence, there's a Chitta, there's a consciousness and there's a body. But when you put the two together, now they become a whole unit. Now they become a whole unit. It's, it's a bit like this. Let's say um, let's say we took a, um, we took a robot. okay we took a robot that's just machine, just a machine. So there's plastic, there's rubber, there's the iron, right? stainless steel, whatever. there's a robot, there are wires and there are bits of circuit. And then there's a there's a there's a program. Now you you may have seen this uh, in certain science fiction movies, right? Maybe there's like something like a globe, uh, maybe something like a ball that says this is this is what has life. So then you put that that bowl into it. there's a piece in the there's a compartment in the robot. You plug it in, and now the robot comes to life. See, it's like that. You give the robot life by plugging that bowl into it. This orb, sort of thing, you you put you put it you place it in, in this in the heart or where you like, and now, it almost gives it life. It gives it life so that now there is one being. It gives it beingness. It gives it beingness. So now it becomes sentient, a sentient being. All there is is a body, and a chitta, and that body itself are causes that are constantly coming together. That is a manifestation. And the chitta, it is also a process that is constantly happening. Because there is not a, a single chitta that lasts a lifetime. What is the lifetime of a chitta? It's just a lifetime of a chitta. The moment eye and sight comes, to, comes in contact, now a chitta is born. In the next moment, perhaps it's sound and the ear comes into contact, and a chitta is born. In the next moment, perhaps smell and, and And nose come into contact, and a chitta is born. And in the next moment, perhaps taste and the tongue come into contact, and a chitta is born. It's not the same chitta even. So that is a process that keeps on happening. And that happens within muscle, bone, and this body. That is all there is. But despite that being all there is, when you look at your child, you feel that your child is there, right? When you look at when you look at What you think is your child, you perceive that there's a whole unit there. This is my child. But can't your child be given a heart transplant? Then whose heart is it after that? Hmm? Then whose heart is it? What if the child was given a liver transplant? Then whose liver is it? Once the heart is back in the child, now you say it's still my heart, my child's heart. How is it your child's heart? Where did it come from? It came from another human being. So then it should be your child and someone else. But you don't feel that way, do you? The moment that heart touches your child, now you believe that that is my child's heart. So much so like, you know, the moment you you go and buy something from the shop, maybe you buy a frock, a little frock for your, your little girl. You bring it home, you put it on her. Now whose frock is it? My daughter's frock. And from that moment, you treasure it. Sometimes, you know, you won't throw it. You will keep all your old stuff for sentimental reasons. Sometimes the children leave home, but the, but the things that they used, their clothes, right, their shoes, their, their earrings, hmm, everything at home. Maybe their first tooth that fell out of their mouth. Even that is at home. See? But all that was, was just Rupa. Why did it become my child's Rupa? Because you don't understand Rupam Bikve Aniccha. Because you don't understand that, this is what happens. Tandukha. You give life, you, you make that Rupa into an entity. A sense of belonging comes into it. <clears throat> because whenever, whenever we separate things in this world, ladies and gentlemen, they always belong to something. With separation, belonging comes hand in hand, right? So, now, say these chairs, we've laid them out the way they are. Now, once we separate them, we say those seats are for the Anagarika Mahatmas. These seats are for the Silasaraka Mahatmas. These seats are for the gents. These seats are for the ladies. See, the moment you separate, every unit in that separation belongs to something. And where is that sense of belonging? Where is that ownership? Where does it come from? It's only in the mind. Now, could I not, check or not take one of those chairs and swap it with another one in the room? Hmm? And then couldn't someone who's not an Anagarika sit on that? When you try and sit on it, you get like a kick up. Huh? Can't seem to sit on this because I get a kick. Why? Because I'm not an Anagarika yet. Does the chair know this? No. No. But your your grandfather's suitcase that he took to work, hmm? or your mother's tiara if she ever wore one, to her wedding, or maybe your grandma your grandfather's ring or your grandmother's ring or something, maybe your 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 mother's bracelet. You won't let anyone, not even a fly, come and land on it, right? Because it's precious. How so? Because you don't understand. As you lack understanding in that concept, in that principle, dukkha happens in the mind. You feel that you are a mother. You feel that you are a daughter. You feel that you are a husband. You feel you are a wife. When you look at your wife, you see, you see a wife. Clearly, I mean, that is why you got married to them. You see a wife, but is there a wife? Then if she's the wife, why does her father not feel about her the same way? Because she's not a wife. The father would say, this is my daughter. Why does the child not feel about her the same way? She'll say, or he'll say, this is my mother. So is she a wife, is she a child, or is she a mother? Which one is she? Now you'll tell me, depends on who you ask. So if it depends on who you ask, then it's subjective. It's not in the object. So it's not objective then. But when you perceive her, when you see her, when you look at her, you feel that your wife is there, don't you? In that moment, you don't stop to think that, no, it's just me perceiving a wife. She's not the wife. Do you ever feel that way? Maybe now you're beginning to think like that. But previously, you never thought in that way. When you see your child, you don't stop to think that it's only I that perceive this boy as a child, as my child. Nobody else does. So if nobody else sees it that way, 8 billion people in this world say no that's not my child but there's one person that says it's my child who's right Hmm? let's take the votes (laughs) who's right eight billion people say that no that's not my child you say it's my child so who's right you're wrong eight billion to (laughs) one but you are still insistent that that is your child I'm not talking about whose child, I'm talking about that feeling of a child. My child. You know, the child feeling, only you get it, don't you? As a mother or a father, only you in this entire world, there are only two people in this entire world who look at a child and go, that's my child, despite whether you call it my or not. I'm talking about the feeling that comes with that. As you look at that child, the emotional bond that you feel, the the separation that you feel that in all the children in all the world. Right, amongst all the children in all the world, this child is separate. He's special. Have you not have you never heard parents saying this child is very special. You know who else says that? Every parent about whom? their own child He's very special. Yes, yes, very special. Very special. Special to whom though? Only to the perceiver. You know, sometimes parents will, they will see qualities about their children that nobody else does. Like, you know, it's its a stories that you make up in your own mind. Let's say your child is not very studious. As an example, right? Your boy, he's not interested in studies. But you'll say, you'll say things like this. You know, my child is very special. He's not very... Someone will say, but he's not very studious, is he? No, no, but he's not the studious type. He's very kind. He's, you know, he's very gentle. He, he, he's very, you know, when he looks at a problem, he looks at it in a very special way, in a very different way to other people. To other, I've never seen it in other boys. He, he looks at problems in a very special way. Only you feel that. <laughs> Nobody else does. But every parent will have a story like that to say about their own child. Every parent will have a story. And there's only one reason for this, folks. It's because in your child, you see a very special child. They're not any other child. They are that one special child. And the funny thing is, if that child got swapped at the hospital, now you don't even know that you're talking about somebody else's child. See, just imagine if, if at all, right. One day you got to learn that your boy that you brought up, you looked after, fed, sheltered, taught, and did everything, right. One day you get news that actually, you know what? Something happened in the hospital, and then no, it's not the, you know somebody else's child you walked home with, right? In that moment, let's imagine your child is at somewhere. You're here, and someone comes and reveals this news to you. Okay, And they say, I've got the evidence. I've done some tests and it proves it. And I've got the real mother, she's waiting outside to come and talk to the boy. You know, in that moment, right? as nice and kind, as so loving as parents you might have been up until that point, in that moment when they say, that is not your child, something happens inside you. that sense of my childness, it starts to crack. From that moment on, he's not so special. He's not so special. I'm not saying this is bad, this is terrible, how vile and how vicious, how wicked. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, just think about how the mind works. And have pity on the mind. All there is, is the same as, as, as there was before. Previously there was sight that came into contact with the eye and there was consciousness. What is there now? The same thing. But in addition to that, now the mind can no longer convince itself that this is the child that has separated or in fact that has elevated you to a mother. Your identity comes under the microscope. Your identity becomes questionable now. I thought I was a mother and I thought this was my child but now I am no longer a mother because this is not my child. That's a big hit on your identity. All because of this. Rupam bhikve anicca. Rupam bhikve when the Buddha says, Rupa Anicca, he is not talking about this Rupa, He's talking about just Rupa. Rupa, whether this piece or smaller pieces, fragments of this, all of Rupa is Anicca. So whenever Rupa comes together and they stand in a certain way, you see a configuration. You see an arrangement of Rupa. This is just an arrangement of Rupa. How about this? It's an arrangement of Rupa. What about this? An arrangement of Rupa. When these two are placed together, that's just another arrangement of Rupa. Is one special, more special than the other? No, it's just an arrangement of Rupa. How about when it was all one? Just another arrangement of Rupa. Because if you keep digging and digging, all you'll end up with is Rupa. And those Rupas, you know, they are just arranged in a certain way. They have no agenda. The Rupa that make up this leaf, ladies and gentlemen, they have no agenda. They don't have the agenda that you portray onto them. None of the atoms that make up this leaf have any agenda. They don't have a will. They don't have a need to be a leaf. They don't. They just stood there. They're just standing there. Just like that. As I say, you know, this the fact that this is a leaf is almost just coincidence. The carbon atoms that make up this leaf, they have no intention, they have no agenda of being a leaf. They're just there. There are forces acting on it, which keeps it there, in its place. That's it. The people who are... I always draw that circle, remember? Blindfolded. Ten people stood in a circle, they're blindfolded. They have no agenda to stand in a circle. Because they don't know that they're stood in a circle. (coughs) (coughs) <coughs> <Excuse me. coughs> they don't know they are stood in a circle. But you perceive a circle. When you perceive that circle, you see beyond anicca. It's okay to perceive the circle as an arrangement. That's fine. But if you take the circle as an entity, now, tandukka. Let me go one step further then. Rupambikvyanicca Yadanicca Tandukkha The Buddha continues to speak to Gotami, continues to speak to you and explains to you why you see this entity. You see this entity because although there is only a chitta that arises in the mind, Dukkha Happens in the mind. This is also what we call jati. Yeah, Jati happens in the mind. You can think of jati as being a disease of the mind. You know, like you get ill, the mind gets ill. When you are infected, right? When you catch a virus, you are ill. In the same way, when the mind catches a virus, the mind is ill. When the mind is ill, the mind goes into this state of jati. Whereas it's only a consciousness, by default, it goes into the state of jati. And once it goes into the state of jati, it no longer functions as a pure mind. Now, say for instance, you, you got something stuck in your foot. Okay, maybe you're you now at the monastery, we walk barefooted, right? Say you got a, you know maybe a, a, a thorn, a small thorn gets stuck in your foot, once that happens, if you can't stop, let's say we are going on the parahara like right, today, and there's a little thorn on the um, on the pawada. Now, if 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 one of those things gets stuck on my foot, I, I'll probably bear it until I get uh, go and take a seat. Because if I stop now to pick, take that out of my foot, then the whole perahara has to stop, right? So what would I normally do? I just carry on. But I might have a slight limp. Because I try to avoid. Putting my foot down, where the thorn, the, the prickly part of it, you know, digs into my foot. So I, I'm going to have a limp. Now, when I have a limp, you know that something's not right. In fact, you might come and ask me. So I'm going to ask Is everything okay? Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. It's, I'm fine. It's all right. Don't worry about it. But not everything. Everything's not fine. Something's not right. I've got a thorn stuck in my foot. So now, in the same way. When the mind is infected, when the mind picks up this thorn, right? the mind behaves erratically in a way that it normally doesn't. The mind's normal function doesn't happen now. It's it's now malfunctioning. So a man who walks like this, when he begins to malfunction, he walks like this. He has a limp. So the mind, when it functions normally, all it is, is a Consciousness. What does it do? Receive. Respond. No. What's the order? Recognize. Thank you. Receive. Recognize. Respond. No. Register. Start again. Receive. Register. Recognize. Respond. And perceive. Right? So the Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and vijnana. This process is the normal process. That is a fully functioning mind. Nothing wrong with it. But when that thorn pricks it, ignorance, when the mind begins to, when the mind feels or the mind accepts, when the mind acknowledges, when the mind begins to, well, when the mind doesn't understand this, yada nitcham, when the mind doesn't understand this, yada nitcham is yada anitcham, okay? That is this the two together, this is a sandhi or a com- combination of the, of the two words. Anicca, when the mind doesn't understand this, what happens is Dukkha. So this is where the Buddha says, it is because you have not understood Anicca, in your mind right now, it's no longer just a pure thought. Now there is Dukkha happening in it. That is what the Buddha says, Tandukkha. So really he's pointing a finger at you and saying, Tandukkha. Tandukkha. Yad Tandukkha. Because... Anicca is the nature. You know, now, don't you understand that Dukkha is a product of causes? Dukkha is a product of causes, but what about self? Self is not a product of causes. You can't explain the self through the principle of cause and effect, because there's no such thing that exists. But Dukkha, which is the perception of a self, which are two different things, Right? The perception of a self. That can be explained through causes. Because how does dukkha happen? That is why that is how the Buddha why the Buddha explained the Avidya pacha sankara, pacha vinyana, namarupa salayatana, pasa, vedana, tanha upadana, bhava, and jati. See, he gives you the causes that gives rise to jati. He gives the causes to rise to jati, not self. What is jati then? The sense of self. Or the perception of self. This feeling that you have, that I exist. Really, ladies and gentlemen, you know, this feeling is not a feeling of I exist. This feeling is a feeling of separation. When that separation happens, you need a name to give to the first separation that you experience. And therefore, you come up with a name. Every language has a name for it. In English, we call it I. Because once you feel it, what is the chitta's job after all? To recognize and to perceive, right? He has to recognize it and to perceive it. So when the, when when jati happens in the mind, now the the a separation has also happened, or at least a sense of separation has happened. So when a sense of separation has happened, now what does the chitta have to do? Recognize it and put a label on it, give it a sanya. That sanya is what we call as I. Just in the same way that when I present this to you, your chitta has a job to do. What is that job, the function the chitta has to do when I put this in front of your eye? It has to do rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara and vinyana with this. So receive it, register it, recognize it, respond to it and perceive it. Right? That is the function of a chitta. Now imagine, in your mind you have ignorance. The ignorance of anicca. Because you are ignorant of Anicca, you think the world is Nietzsche. That in this world there are fixed entities. There are entities. There are units. There are single things. Okay? So with that ignorance in mind, now I present this to you. Not only do you have to present, not only do you have to recognize and respond and perceive the leaf that I have presented to you, in other words, the Rupa, you have to also perceive the separation that happens in the mind which is the product of Abhisankara. Because there are two processes that run parallelly. When sight and the eye come into contact, you have one process that gives you eye consciousness. Parallelly, you have ignorance and attachment that run to give you jati. Yeah? So, this is the leaf. And this is separation. This is the Rupa that has just come in. So if this didn't work, so if you didn't have this process running parallelly, all you would see is a leaf. But you wouldn't perceive it as an entity. You would see the leaf in the same way that anyone does. A dog, a human being, you know, an arahant, we all see the leaf in the same way. Physically, we see the same leaf. But you won't perceive this as a single unit. In other words, when this is torn, You won't say that this is the, you won't perceive that this is the one leaf that has been torn. You will know it, but you won't perceive it that way. That is why a dead child would not be a dead child to an arahant. That is why a broken arm is not a broken arm of the person to a dead arahant, to to an arahant. They will know it out of knowledge. But the perception is not going to be the same. So, we are not talking about knowledge. Knowledge is one. Perception is another. When you, see, when you see the moon, you see a rabbit on the moon. Yeah? Now, as children, we, you know, if you looked up into the, into the moon and you saw the rabbit on the moon, you thought that was a real rabbit. See, back then, you both knew it as a rabbit and perceived it as a rabbit. Yeah? Now, we understand it better. Now we know those are just craters and they're not real rabbits out there but when you look at it you still perceive it you know you 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 feel it you you kind of see the outline of a rabbit like the silhouette of a rabbit but you know that it's not a rabbit so therefore you know you don't in your mind you know you you don't think oh there's a rabbit someday i'm going to go and catch it You, you don't feel like that but you know that, you know, when a child comes home and says, you know, look at the rabbit, you say, yes, yes, well, I look at the rabbit up there. Because you know that, you know, conventionally, people refer to it as a rabbit. That's fine because, you know, that's a conventional word. So there's a difference between knowledge of things and the way we perceive things. The, the internalization of it, the internal perception of it is a different one to what the eye sees. So when this process happens in parallel, Separation happens in the mind out of ignorance and attachment, and therefore you see a separate leaf. Now, when this is a separate leaf, when this is a separate leaf, okay, when this is a separate leaf, folks, this part belongs to which leaf? This leaf, right? You would never you would never say, would you, that this this part belongs to this leaf. You won't say that, will you? And that is not just knowledge I'm talking about. I'm talking about the internal perception of it. I'm not just talking about knowledge. Out of knowledge you know that this part does not belong to this leaf. But you can't help feeling that this this part here belongs to this leaf. That's by perception. That is why the other day I said, you know, if I took off this cap and put it on a different pen, in your mind you have this need to reset it. Because you feel now there is chaos in this world. That chaos comes from a perception of belonging. That sense of belonging comes with separation. Because when something is separate, it belongs to something. That is why people separate things. That is why people put up a fence and say, this is my land, this is your land. Because when we separate, we separate on the basis of belonging. Don't we? Why do we separate otherwise? You know, these are the ladies' toilets, these are the gents' toilets. Why separate? Because they belong to them, these belong to them. Belonging. You can't help that perception of belonging because that perception of belonging comes hand in hand with the, with the perception of separation. So that's what's going on here. So how does yanduk come? How does the understanding of that help? When you understand that this is just jati, now you know that it's just a perception that I have. Jati is just the mind gone wrong. It's ailing. It's an ailing mind. There's a disease of the mind. So now you understand that this is just how the mind feels. It's not actually how it is outside. Now you understand this is just how the mind feels. It's not how it is actually on the outside. There's a difference now. You see a difference. What is actually out there and how you perceive it. See, therefore you come to the last part. Yandukkhaṃ tadanatta. What is tadanatta? So this is together again. Anatta. Anatta, meaning it is not separate. It is not separate. It is not separable. It is not separable. What is not separable? You can't ask that question. What cannot be separated? Because if you answer that question, you already you're talking about separate things. Yeah. What is not separable? Nothing is separable. So you can't ask what is not separable. Because when I when you ask what, I have to give you an answer. And then I have to talk to you about a separate thing, right? So there is no such thing as a separate thing. Therefore, I can't tell you what is not separable. All I can tell you is inseparability is the nature of the world. Inseparability is the nature of the world. But when you understand that in the mind dukkha happens, jati happens, now you realize that things have not separated. I just perceive them as separate things. But to understand that, you need to understand whether Rupa is Anicca. So if the Rupa is Anicca, then Rupa Ambikkarya Anicca, Nicca, Tan Dukkha. Where's the Dukkha? See, it's happening right now. It's happening in the mind right now, Dukkha. And because Dukkha is happening in the mind, you see separate entities, or you perceive separate entities. But are they actually separate? They're not really separate. That's for, Therefore, the Buddha says Tadanatta. Netang Mama. So it's not a me. It's not a self. Netang <inaudible> hamasmi. Then they are not mine. How can you separate as mine and theirs and me and you? Namesu <inaudible> Right? They are not separate things. Eva metang yata Having come to that realization of the of entities, not entities rather of the nature. The Yatabhuta is the, the real nature of things, right? Having come to that realization, Sammapanyaya Dattabha. Through wisdom, Sammapanyaya, right? The, through the wisdom that, that arises by the eradication of ignorance and attachment, through that wisdom, one comes to the realization. So, this karmastana in one line would be, through the, through the eradication of ignorance and attachment, rises wisdom. And with that wisdom, one realizes that all there is, is Anicca. If all there is, is Anicca, the nature of Anicca, then what's happening in your mind right now is Dukkha. And it is because of that, you see that this world is Atta. In other words, you see separate things, you perceive separation, but really, they're not separate. They're not really separate. All there is are insepar- all there is, is inseparability. I can't say all there is are inseparable things. Again, when I say the word things, I've already separated again, right? So all there is is inseparability. Now, if that is the, if that is the case, when the mind understands this, would the mind complain about this again? Would the mind say, oh, now there's a torn leaf? No. So this no longer causes suffering. So, when Kisa Gotami was explained this, she realized that there was no child to die. But she was moaning about a dead child. She was believing a dead child, but she realized there was no child to die. All there was, was body, which is a composition of the pure octet, of Patavyaa Potejovai, or one Gandhara Soja. She didn't need to know all those things in detail. When we talk about anitsha, you don't need to understand all the parts that make it. You just need to understand the nature of anitsha. Do you understand the difference? Like, you know, if you look at this building, you know that there are some, there's something that's going to make in this building. You don't need to know what whether it's bricks, you know, whether it's brick and mortar, whether it's wood. You don't need to know all that. You don't need to understand all the materials that have gone into making this. All you, all you need to know is, something's gone into making this. Therefore, it's it didn't come here as one building. It came together piece by piece. So when Kisa Gotmi realized that, she realized all there was was a body and a chitta, a consciousness. That happened every moment the eye came into contact with sight. So that is all that happened in this bundle which I called, I refer to as my child. So where is that my child? There's no my child anymore then. If there's no more my child, then there is no child that died. If there's no child that died, why do I believe? That's I talked to you last week or the week before. You know, the purpose of Buddhism is not to let go of your attachment to your child. It's to realize that there is no child to attach. It's a very different thing altogether. It's not to let go of your attachment to, to things or people or whatever. It's to realize that there is no one out there. There is no entity out there to attach to. Once that realization happens, there is nothing to let go. I've always been saying this, there is nothing to let go. You just need to realize that there was nothing to let go. (laughs) What is there to let go if there is nothing to hold on to? Hmm? You're clenching your fist. I'm just trying to convince you there is nothing in there. But until you understand that, I can't expect you to let go. You just keep on holding it and clenching your fist as tight as you possibly can. And every time I try to pull it out, you'll hold it even harder. But if I tell, if I can convince you, dude, there's nothing in there. Just have a look. The moment you take with a, with a jump of faith, right, a leap of faith, you look in there. Oh my God, yeah, you're right. Why did I why did I strain myself all this time? I was just worrying about nothing. I fretted myself over nothing. There's nothing. Oh, I'm free. <laughs> what have I taken from you? Nothing. What did you let go of? Nothing. That is the realization we are. Striving to come to. Right. I'm happy, are you? <laughs> so if only part of this made sense, do you need to worry about it? No. If all of this made sense, do you need to be so proud about it? Neither. No. Hmm? You don't need to. There's there's nothing. You know, it's just let the mind do its thing. Let the teacher do the teacher's job. Let you as a mind do its job. Right? Let it work on some merits, which is what you will get a chance to do later on today. And some merits, be where the Dhamma happens. Let absorb it right? like a sponge. Let it be where the water is and the sponge will absorb it in due course. You don't need to struggle. There's no struggle here. If the path to your deliverance is one that brings you pain and discomfort, then it's not deliverance at all. Don't be like that. If it's a struggle to attain Nibbana, it's not Nibbana you're struggling for. It shouldn't be a struggle. The journey is as joyful as the destination. If it's not, then you're on the wrong path. I, I never stress about Nidbana. If I'm stressing about Nidbana, then it's not Nidbana I'm going after. It can't be a stress, it can't be a strain. It, could, it should be so relaxing, so joyful, so blissful. Otherwise, you know, what hope is there at the, in the destination if the journey itself is so, so painful and burdensome? Can't be right. I think most of you understand what I'm what I'm trying to express to you here. Right? Give it some time. You know, let's do some application of it in the following weeks, upcoming weeks. Let's put in more examples of how this can be applied. And we'll talk about this for a for some time, just so you can and try and practice this as a karmastana you know. If all there is anicca, then here what's happening is Dukkha. If here what's happening is Dukkha, then there can't be an entity out there. There can't be an entity out there because all I am, this is just a perception of self, not a self. And it's because I feel a self, I perceive a self, do I perceive a fixed, out, fixed object out there? Because when you perceive fixed objects in here, you perceive fixedness out there. Fixness here, fixedness there. No fixedness here, no fixedness there. That's all. That's the way it works. So try and practice this as a karmastana. Right, on that note, let's conclude for today by transferring the merits that we have acquired to all those who are deserving of it. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, reminding ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, Upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer these meds we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side, through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to my teacher Guru Swami Nansi, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to, me, to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana Sadhu sarva, sarva, Sarva There is also transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the bliss of Nibbana continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone, from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May, by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nirvana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, Sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who make great efforts to help, support and assist us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmanas, spirits and demons, primarily the devas, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves to protect and fulfil the sasana. Let us transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, by the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfil the meritorious deeds, fulfil the noble laid path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbāna. Serve, serve, serve. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors, those who have passed away in our name, our loved ones, and those who have predeceased us. To all those who have been families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara, those who have helped us, supported us, and assisted us, may they all rejoice in these merits. Let us transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And also may, they, may those who have lost their lives in the wars be their friend or foe. May they all rejoice in these merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer to those who lost their lives. Beg pardon. May they tra- maybe, let us take a moment. To transfer these merits to those who lost their lives in the natural calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, natural disasters, forest fires, blizzards, pandemics, and so on. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of samsara. Let us take a moment. to Transfer these merits to them. May, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. And that is all that by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become an Arahatan Parana in this very life itself and in the Eva of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you.
1: MOHA GINNEN NIDATNVÁ NIBVÁNA PARAM SUKHAYAN SUKHITA TÁRA VETNVÁ NIBVÁNA PARAM SUKHAYAN SUKHITA TÁRA VETNVÁ Mamada Siyalu Loka Siyalu Satmayo Nibbana Parma Sukhaya Sukhita Tara Nibana Nibbana Parma Sukhaya Sukhita Tara Nibbāna pārana sukhayan Sukhita tāra hatun vā Rāga gini nivevā Vesha nivevā Moha gini Nivan sapper, Nivan Nivan sapper, Nivan Nivan sapper, Nivan Nivan sapper, Nivan